0: You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. Number 201, Don Kastner of Monitor EDU. That's your teaser. It's from a very famous piano piece by Eric Satie called Gymnopédie No. 1. Listen to the full song at the end of my podcast. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I am very fond of, so please check out their website at d2l.com slash Pulse Podcast to learn more. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rods Pods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. Today, I have an interview with Don Kastner. He's the president and founder of Monitor EDU. Quote, Monitor EDU is a leading provider of high stakes remote proctoring using live proctors based in North America. I've known Don for quite some time. In fact, I interviewed Don in his former company, ProctorU, and he's gone on to bigger and better things. And uh, lo and behold, he's back and he's the founder of MonitorEDU. So we discussed Don's background and the history of MonitorEDU, how proctoring changes have been brought about by COVID. And something that wasn't very obvious to me, how live proctoring is actually better than AI generated flags. That's certainly not intuitive to me. I would have thought that automated proctoring would certainly be more efficient, but it's not. So you'll have to listen and find out why. Other topics include chat translation and foreign language proctors, ramping up for peak exam times, student identity verification, and how do they monitor the proctor performance, since they use exclusively live proctors? And various security issues related to exam software, how they have partnerships with testing platforms, and learn about InVigil, a record and review system. They also proctor oral exams, and they're dabbling in automated proctoring. We'll see what that has for the future in terms of AI. So without further ado, here's my interview with Don Kastner. Don, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Again, I'll mention to our audience that um, I interviewed you uh, with one of your former companies back in 2015. So, how have you been? Uh been been great. I 2015 seems so long
1: ago. So, it's, <laughs> it, so many things have have happened since then, since then but everything's
0: going great. That's good. As far as I could tell, you've always been in this sort of um, proctoring space. Uh, for, again, for my audience, uh, it was ProctorU at that time, mm-hmm. and now it's Monitor Edu. And I understand you're the the founder. So, what have you been doing in the meantime? And um, tell my audience a little bit about your background and history, so they they understand where you're coming from.
1: Sure, sure. So, you know, I was a Silicon Valley guy and uh, an economics professor at San Jose State, and Early, early 2000s, got involved in a project out in Alabama, converting a university from paper-based to online. And through that process, we came up with a way to proctor um, students remotely. Uh, we have the, the famous kitchen table story where we had a, a student of mine at Andrew Jackson University, you know, let me know how much she enjoyed the online school experience, but she didn't like the testing experience. You know, the idea that she could do all our coursework at her kitchen table, but then she had to to go somewhere to take the test just didn't make sense to her. Um, So we came up with a a way to uh, proctor people remotely using webcams. Um, You know, this is way pre-Zoom, and that technology was still relatively new at that time. And ProctorU ended up being born. So we got out of the university business, got into the remote proctoring business. And, you know, from 2008 through 2015-16, that company... Really took off. There's a there's a great story about venture capital and business. You know, getting venture capital allows you to do a lot of really exciting things and grow the company. And I think what Proctor U has done is amazing, eventually uh, merging with another company out of Canada and becoming what we all know is measure learning now. So that you know, I'm proud to, to sit back and look at that company and say how much they've done. But in, in all VC situations, as an entrepreneur and a founder, you know, you, you've always got these great ideas and you get to a point where you know, the momentum of the, the organization, you know, goes beyond you, right? It's the path that it's going down may not be the path that you want to go down anymore. So it's a great opportunity. I had a great opportunity to, to step out, um, did that in two, 2016, excuse me. And then, you know, just kind of, you know, hung around for a couple of years, tried to figure out, uh, what I wanted to do next, uh, helped a friend of mine with, with his business. Um, and then in 2000, summer of 2017, Uh, One of the guys I'd worked with, Patrick Ochoa, came to me. Uh, We were at an airport in Chicago having a drink, waiting for a flight, as we always did. Um, And he asked me when we were going to do our own thing again. And uh, so we kind of sat down, grabbed some napkins, drew out a plan. And about six months later, uh, Monitor EDU was born. And the entire concept behind Monitor EDU is a bit different from from Proctor EDU. The entire industry, remote proctoring industry, over you know, say 2000 to 2015, 16 was really going automated, you know, it was really relying on technology. And we really wanted to get back to basics and understand that, you know, proctoring really is a, a human experience. You know, having somebody at the other side of that camera um, who can assist a student, who can help the student, um, who can intervene when necessary and do all those things. Actually, having proctors focus on, the, the process was important to us. Well, we weren't interested in being a technology company. We wanted to be a professional proctoring company. And so Monitor ED was born in 2018. And, and here we are almost five years later, and uh, we're still here. And, and things are actually going very
0: well. That's great. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, in fact, you anticipated one of my questions. So in a way, like you say, you went back to basics because I know there was a lot of emphasis on automated uh, proctoring. So um how has COVID changed uh, your business? Because uh, everybody's teaching online these days.
1: It had a dramatic effect on our business. Um, you know, we were we had a business plan, we had growth rates built in, being self-funded. Um, even though we had capital just being self-funded, you, you do things a certain way and it's, it's a nice pace. Um, in March, 2020, you know, the, all of a sudden the phone's ringing off the hook. When I say phone, obviously in the modern world, it's, you know, inbound leads through the internet. But, <laughs> but the idea was suddenly, you know, we were closing deals in, in two days. Uh, people needed it. And so we had a dramatic ramp up and probably in 2020 accelerated our business plan probably three years. So, you know, we jumped ahead by three years between say March and I want to say October, November. I think that's when things started to slow down just a little bit. But um, yeah, for us, dramatic ramp up, you know, we were at the right place and the right time from a business standpoint. But, you know, there's a lot of other challenges that we had to, you know, things that you didn't think that you'd have to experience problems that you, you know, the old, uh, it's a nice problem to have, but it's still a problem. You know, how do you add the staff? How do you do the training? You know, how do you stick with your business plan when, you know, you've got this chaos in the marketplace? So um, it was a real fascinating experience to go through.
0: Well, that's amazing. So in the beginning, it was all um, human-based live proctoring, or have you uh, taken advantage of some more automation?
1: so we it, we have this interesting business model when we started out we didn't want to be a technology company and so we we partnered with a company out of europe called proctor exam and they had a uh, record and review and live um, model and so we started using our proctors on that model um, and i think by mid 2019 we realized we probably needed our own to really accelerate our growth so we Developed a real simple uh, video-based service um, that really relied heavily on, you know, human intervention, human observation to really proctor. You know, it's, it's that basic proctoring experience. You just need the person on a webcam, and we actually decided that we needed the person on an external webcam, and so we used the the mobile phone as our our primary camera because it allowed us to see the entire area. And so over time, we've continued to develop our own product but we also work with uh, many other products and many other platforms and so within our product we we do not have any ai components built into it uh, just because we wanted to make sure we kept it simple uh, but we are seeing ai components in some of the other tools that we're using but we use them simply as uh, assistive technology uh, we we don't rely on those uh, ai flags to me, uh, we don't rely on ai to flag the experience we just rely on AI to help make the experience more efficient.
0: I see. I see. So gosh, from, from a naive point of view mine, uh, it would seem that uh, going the uh, live exam, live proctoring route would be much more expensive than doing it in an automated fashion. Uh, Have you found that not to be the case?
1: That is, yeah, we found that absolutely not to be the case. So there's some things that are counterintuitive. So one of the, the big, issues with automated is that it's not very efficient. Um, so it, everybody thinks that it is cause you're not, you're not employing live proctors to watch the, the event, but the automation is auto flagging events that occur during that exam. And the big challenge that you have is there's a difference. And if you think about artificial intelligence you know there's there's statistical data and you can build algorithms that can evaluate that statistical data and it does a great job right if you build a really good algorithm and you've got good variables that you understand you can build you know a process where you can make those machine based decisions the problem with proctoring is that you're looking at observational data which is completely different and there there are significantly Lo- much larger amount of variables that exist in that world. And in addition to that, um, it's difficult to, to predict those, right? Each of us are different. We have different environments. We have different skin colors. We have different dialects. There's so many things that are different in that particular environment that the, observ- the AI algorithms on observational data create a large number of anomalies. And so at the end of the examination, you still need to go back and review all of those anomalies. And the result is you spend an inordinate amount of time after the exam, trying to sift through all of the flags to determine which ones are legitimate and which ones aren't. So to in a certain extent, what we say is that the problem with automated proctoring is it does not give you automated results. You still need that, that human um, judgment to review those exams after the fact, so it becomes very inefficient, and it's really cost loaded on the back end, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, that that sounds um, sounds right. Um, I was always suspicious about how how automated you can get. I think you uh, you you covered that. Um, you mentioned dialects. I'm wondering, does that mean that you have um, you can cover different languages? Are you expanding internationally?
1: Yes, we are. So currently we proctor, uh, we have Spanish speaking proctors, French speaking proctors, obviously English speaking proctors. Um, As we uh, take on new clients in different areas of the world and they have demands for that, we can add staff. Uh, We do have the ability to do uh, translations through chat. So we just had a a group of Japanese test takers uh, that we proctored last week. And so we did all of that through, you know, a chat process and a, a, uh, we went through a process where we pre-translated uh, a bunch of instructions and went through that. So we do have the ability uh, to proctor multiple languages, but it's definitely helpful when that proctor speaks the language. Um, and we've been very successful in Latin America with our Spanish-speaking proctor program. So I'm pretty happy with that.
0: That's great. That's great. Um, you know, school, especially in the United States, they tend to have their... You know, the midterm exams and our final exams, probably all around the same time. So how hard is that to ramp up um, sort of a seasonal uh, activity there? How how hard is that to get enough proctors to to work uh, during those high peak times?
1: So it's just a matter of planning. I mean, we um, when we got into the great thing between about 2013 and 2014 is we had this new sort of concept of a gig worker right? So you've got, you know, obviously Uber came out. Everybody knows that it is. You've got Uber Eats. You've got all these other programs where people in a sense become their own, own business. Um, so we sort, we we followed that model to a certain extent. I mean, everybody that works for us is a W2 employee, um, but we created a model where there's incentives for them to log in and get volume and proctor successfully and proctor with high quality. And so because of that, and they, they also, let me, let me back up a step. We also allow our proctors to to proctor from home. And so we set that up in 2018. And so that, you know, when the, the pandemic hit, we talked about that earlier, we were in a unique position that we were already a, a work from home company. But what that allows us to do is it allows us to focus on hiring and training employees. They can focus on on their own internet, their own infrastructure at home, their own computer. Most people have them. Um, and they have the incentive to make sure that they've got the best equipment available so they can proctor successfully. So the result is we've got a large staff out there. And then what we do with, with high volume periods or peak periods is we, you know, rarely does somebody come to you and say, I need to do a thousand exams tomorrow. Uh, typically with any you know institution you're going to see, uh, you know, you're going to have that schedule far in advance. And so we're able to basically plan that out and make sure that, That we have enough staff to be able to to manage, Um, and I'm proud to say, you know, we're probably at a a 99% 99.5% success rate, where we've only had a few days where we've ever really gotten, you know, far behind or had, you know, issues with long long wait times. For the most part, we're able to stay on top of it because of that flexible workforce.
0: Yeah, the gig economy. So I imagine that are people out there making enough money, but they might be doing working for three different companies.
1: We do have proctors that are full time, and so those people are committed. So those people rarely work for anybody else. Uh, but we have a lot of part timers, and it's it's just let us know what your availability is. We'll let you know when the peak demand periods are, and if those two things line up, we'll get you scheduled in. So they have they have other jobs; they're doing other things. Some of them are might even be proctoring for you know other groups, maybe in person or in the classroom. Um, so it, you're right; it's it's fascinating because. Really, that puts the power of scheduling, the power of working in the hands of the employee. And that's why I think you have a huge power in the gig market, because now each individual can really, you know, drive how much they want to work, drive how how successful they want to be. Um, And as long as they do a good job, you know, they're going to continue to be asked back.
0: From the um, user point of view, the student or the institution, how do you verify identity of the student?
1: So a, a bit of that depends on, on the technology platform we're using. But for, for us, we really rely on the standard, you know, ID process. So, you know, it's it's seeing that particular student on camera, uh, checking their government-issued credential, whether it's a driver's license, passport, uh, you know, making sure that those two things line up. And then it's a matter of observation, one of the most important things that you need to do during the process to, is to observe the student. So it's not just a matter of checking them and checking their ID, but then watching them and observing them throughout the exam and looking for, for odd behaviors. Um, so you can use some other points of data that will help you to identify when you have a potential uh, issue and when you need to explore that more. You know, if a standard ID is good enough uh you know, for most, most of the places that we go, it should be good enough for proctoring as well. But ultimately, it's going to come down to how that person is behaving. Are they doing something that is different that you wouldn't expect? I have a philosophy on that. Not, not really a philosophy. I have a viewpoint, which is that, you know, people are pretty good at telling big lies. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, did you get into the cookie jar? No, I didn't. Well, that's great as a lie, but the problem is, is that you've got crumbs all over your shirt and you've got a trail of evidence that leads away from the kitchen, Mm -hmm. right? And you've got a little chocolate smeared on your face, right? Those are all the little lies that are hard to cover. And so if you take that same approach into the testing environment, you know that someone who's coming in to do something nefarious. They may come in with a fake ID. They may come in with resources that they're not supposed to have, and they're going to hide them and present them in such a way that that can fool the system or fool the proctor. But they still have to take the test. And you're still going to be observing them over the course of 30, 40, 60 minutes, two hours. And in that process, they're going to behaving, they're going to most likely behave different. And that's the thing that's going to allow you to spot when you have an anomaly. To be honest, it's not really any different than the classroom. Uh, you know as i mentioned prior to this i was a, an economics professor you know and i can remember you know being in the classroom and watching 30 40 uh, students test and when somebody does something different it captures your attention right so you get up you walk around you you investigate and in a sense we're doing that same thing when we're testing online we're watching we're observing you know and Twenty people that take a test, nineteen of those people are going to do exactly the same thing. It's the the one person who's doing something different that really captures your attention.
0: Interesting. That that brings to mind a question on your proctors: How many do they can they monitor at once?
1: So it so our entire model is based on about a six or eight to one ratio. But we learned early on that some people are incredibly proficient at doing things, and so we we actually don't unless we're contractually limited with a particular client we don't place a cap on our proctors because they know what they can do to multitask they know what they can do to proctor people so if they can handle 10 or they can handle 12 or they can handle 15 you know that's something that we allow them to do because again in that gig model that allows them you know to increase their earnings Um, they still have to do it successfully so we you know, we're, we're doing quality control, we're jumping in and auditing, we're making sure that they're doing it well, but any limit that we've created is arbitrary. You know, it's really about what they're capable of doing. And, you know, it's interesting because if you're proctoring and you're responsible for six people or 10 people, Those six or 10 people don't know that you're also managing other people. So they need your quick response. And it becomes very frustrating if you're trying to proctor people and you have two or three people talking to you at the same time. And so just naturally, you're going to, over time, get to a point where you're going to set yourself up, that you have a comfortable amount of people that you're working with. What we also do is we try to align proctors so that they're only doing one particular test so you talked about midterms so we might have a, a faculty member that has a class of a hundred students and they all want them to test on Tuesday at 8 a.m Well we'll assign a, a number of proctors just to that class and so that also allows our proctors to be more efficient because now they're only managing through one set of rules you know if that particular class allows for open book open note, then everybody's going to have open book, open note, as opposed to trying to do students in, in multiple classes where one's open book and another one's closed book, you know, as a proctor, that that means you have to look for different things. And so again, by giving them the flexibility, you know, to manage what they can manage, make sure that we do the quality control, and then trying to uh, make sure that we have them do the same test in the same class, all of that allows us to, to basically increase those ratios.
0: Say a little bit more about how you know that they're being a you know a a good proctor. How, how do you monitor that?
1: So we, we have a couple of different ways. We we have the ability to to jump into the video. So the what we do is we have a we call a manager on duty. And so they'll have a group of proctors that they're assigned to and they work with. And they're in constant communication with them. So during the shift, they're they're essentially getting a feel for the flow, how many people that a proctor is working with, how many potential issues that they have. Um, they can actually jump into the session and observe them. So they get a, a sense of what that proctor is doing. You know, and then on the on the back end we're going to look at the other metrics. We'll take a look at their proctor notes are they are they being complete in, in everything that they fill out? Are they notating all the things that we require? Are they notating uh, the anomalies that occur? Um, are we getting any complaints from the the, the candidates? You know that the proctor is being non-responsive, for example. You know, are we getting any concerns from the, the the institution or the professor? You know, are they hearing from the students? So you basically compile all that data. And you start to evaluate, you know, your proctor really just like you would any other job, whatever job you're in. If you're if you're working, you know, and, you know, if you're working in a customer service job in a center, you know how it's the same kind of thing. How many calls are you handling? How many, you know, what is what kind of feedback are center getting from the particular clients? What, you know, you also hear supervisors jumping in and listening to do quality control. So all of those things are things that we do to basically stay on top of of the proctors.
0: How long does it take to train a proctor? What sort of um, process do they go through?
1: So it's probably about two weeks from the time that uh, we decide to hire them. Uh, We have a dedicated training team. And so um, they'll set an appointment with the trainer right away. They'll basically train them really on what proctoring is all all about. So what are the different, I I call them goals. So within a, with almost every test, there are certain goals that a proctor has to achieve, right? You've got to make sure that you connect and and make sure the technology is working the cameras are working and the audio is working. You need to make sure that, you know, you've secured the candidate and the student that you've done whatever you need to do to verify that it's the right person taking the right test. You need to go ahead and secure the environment, you know, and make sure that they only have authorized materials. There's nothing unauthorized in that particular room and environment. You want to make sure there's no one else that's there that's assisting them. And then you want to go through a process of orienting them with the rules and the test and then getting them into the test. Um, there's also some goals and objectives on what that you do during the test, making sure that, you know, they're adhering to the rule, managing breaks, managing... You know because people are testing from home in many cases, managing if somebody else comes in the room. And then at the end of the test, there's there's goals relative to closing that particular test out, and making sure they're complete, finding enough they have questions. And so with training, we're going to take somebody and orient them to those goals, make sure that they understand them. Um, you know, none of these things, most of us have taken tests. So I think they're all relatively easy to understand. But once we know that they've got that process, then we're going to jump into the technology side of it and and talk about how you uh, accomplish each of these from a technological standpoint. Um, and then we get, in, get them in there and they start proctoring.
0: Okay, got it. Uh, getting back to the student's point of view, you mentioned that, um, if I heard you correctly, that they're using their, Cell phone as the, the the camera, how does that work? I mean, do they have to have it set up on an easel, or um, if if it's just flat on the desk next to their laptop or their home, uh, you know, desktop computer? How how does that work? Is that an issue?
1: Uh, it it can be sometimes. I mean, we you know most people are pretty good at propping their phones up, right? Because we use our phones to watch video and do other things. Obviously, they're not holding it during the exam. know we'll recommend things like you know prop it up against a cup prop it up between two cups because we only need the the camera part you know doesn't need to be blocked but the the other end of the phone can be wedged between two cups um it can be you can lean it up against a stack of books many people have you know they have ways of setting their phone up so they're really used to doing that because of all the video that people watch on phones these days Um, and I nice thing because you have a you have a, a live proctor you know we can we can have them adjust it, right? We can have them put it somewhere else in the room. Um, you know, because it's mobile, we can put it put it elsewhere. Um, it also brings up a, a, another good thought: is that we also oftentimes use two cameras, and so oftentimes we will have them. We use the the cell phone or the mobile camera as our primary camera because it gives us the view that we need. You know, that webcam view doesn't really give you enough. You, all you know is that the student is sitting in front of the computer, but you can't see what they're doing outside of the camera view. And most importantly, you can't see what they're doing on their computer. And so having that external camera allows us to see the student taking the test on their computer and allows us to see the whole area. But we have found that it's important to have redundancy you know, built in because there's always that question of what happens if, you know, so what happens if the cell phone dies, even though we told them to make sure that it was plugged in right. or... You know, what happens if they get a, a phone call because they forgot to put it on? Do not disturb. You know, there's it's there's a lot of things that could happen. So having that second camera up there gives us that redundant way to communicate with them. So it's more about having that second path to communicating with the students should there be an issue as opposed to actually doing the proctoring, which we, we do off the external camera.
0: Got it. You know, it's funny when I remember the some of the initial... Proctoring uh, systems out there, Um, certainly way before Zoom. I remember some systems had a special camera, and the student had to buy this device and it had a fisheye lens and could see all around the room. And uh, it seems like your job's a lot easier these days because everybody has a cell phone. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. You know, I said a lot's happened since 2015, a lot's happened since 2008. You know, there wasn't. Yeah, you know, this whole idea of video conference really wasn't that big a big a thing back then. Um so technology's changed. Yeah, I remember the the fish eye. that was uh that was my good buddy Doug winning at, at software secure, they developed that. Um I I talk about, you know, being one of the early pioneers. He was another guy that was a, a, an early pioneer. Um you know, we took different approaches, but um yeah, that was an interesting little device. The the the, the proc, uh, it was the Like a remote proctor is what he called it. So, um, right. But but that's funny.
0: I remember when I uh, started at my uh, University of the Sciences in 2008, 2009. And we spent a fortune setting up a video conference room using the old technology. Um, I didn't forget what it's called now, but (laughs) it took so long. It was so expensive. By the time it was set up, you know, everybody was using their uh, webcam on their computer and we didn't even, we hardly used it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. no, we, we all remember that. It's, a, it's amazing when you think back to technology and how quickly we adapt. Uh, but the beauty of that is it, and part of the reason why we decided not to, to really focus on technology is because, you know, video technology um, really is becoming a commodity. We're all, especially, you know, with, with COVID hitting, you know, sort of the, this is almost like the Zoom generation, although we might even be past that now. But, you know, everybody's used to being on video, you know, um, even, you know, just playing around. I mean, TikTok's doing great. So all of the video now that's in our society um, and in our everyday lives, um, you know, the truth of the matter is it's it's really the proctoring and the process that you go through, right? I talked about those those goals and it's achieving those goals. And it's not, you know, you need the video camera, but you don't need, as a, an organization, we don't need to control, you know, how we do that. Now, it's not really, you know, having that connection is important, just like being at a, a classroom is important, but ultimately it comes down to that that proctor and that process and that administering of the exam. And th- those are really the things that we focus on, you know, because we know that, you know, the technology is becoming more prevalent, uh, more commoditized. Um, and you know, and that's why you know we have we have a real simple platform, but we also proctor on multiple platforms uh, because we know that it's not that difficult to actually build video into your application. And so if everybody can do that, that means everybody can build a proctoring platform, but not everybody can build, you know, a a proctoring organization that's got the expertise and experience to do what we do.
0: Got it. Um, Do you, uh, is there anything new coming down the pike? I always like to ask uh, anything, uh, any new version, or speaking of version, maybe first say: Is there any download? Uh, is there an app that the students install? I guess that's my first question.
1: Yes. So for our for our flagship product, which we call remote, uh, which we call mobile proctor, um, there's nothing to download. We just use standard WebRTC video that runs off the browser. Um, so that's that's as simple as it as it can be. Um, there are um, you know other programs that we work with. You know, we might if we proctored. We've proctored on Zoom. We've proctored on uh, Google Meets. We've proctored, you know, on other platforms. Sometimes there might be, you know, an applet, you know, an application that you need to download. I mean, Zoom has a download. Google Meets has a bit of a download. I mean, these are all things that are standard that most of us have, anyways. Um, there are some situations where we get into high security and high stakes where uh, they really want additional levels of security, and so typically we'll see. Um, like a secure browser built into the test platform. And so the student may have to download that, but that really comes from the test platform. Uh, For us, it's important because our proctors have to be able to manage and work with students when they're downloading things. Um, So, you know, the answer is it really depends. Our focus is to try to keep it simple, but in some cases you do need those extra levels of security. And so there's almost, uh, it's hard to avoid in some of those situations to download. Got yeah. it.
0: Well, you know, what comes to mind is um, you mentioned the, um, you know, the exam software that the students use to take their exams. Um, have Has your company thought of or other uh, proctoring companies, do they think about developing their own, you know, Q&A software so that they can be very well integrated with the actual test taking software? So, so that's a great question because I think, that's where the industry is
1: going. I think what we're seeing, so if you take a look at ProctorU, they merged with a company in Canada called Yardstick, which was an assessment delivery company. And so there, I believe over time, they'll be merging those technologies um, so that the proctoring software is built into the test platform. So there are, there are a few partners that, that we work with Uh, we work with a company called assessment systems. We work with a company called paradigm testing. We work with a company called digital desk, all of those companies are platform delivery companies who are building, uh, proctoring technology into their platform. And so, you know, with, with those guys, we're making a transitioning transition from using our tools to using their tools, but the proctoring is the same. So, um, I think in the long term, because video technology is relatively simple from a programming standpoint, it makes a lot more sense for a test delivery a test delivery company or an LMS to build that into their test, right? To have that video capability. So then it becomes a question of how do you, how do you proctor? Can you proctor with, with faculty? Can you proctor with, you know, your own staff at the institution that you have in your test center? Can you proctor or use a company like monetary to that has a, a team of professional proctors that could step in and do that for you? Um, you know, so you can start, if you, you listen to that story, you can start to see why we're focused on building out the team. Um, so because we believe that from a technology standpoint, having a company that's independent and only has proctoring software, um, you know, we think that's going to be a thing of the past that it's just going to be a feature that's built into the LMS and built into the, the test platform.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I could see that might be the way things go. Um, I was noticed from your website, uh, Something uh, you mentioned a new service called Invigil. Can you tell us what that's all about?
1: Absolutely. So that's with our our partner Digital Desk, um, and this is what they wanted to do. Is is with a lot of um, colleges and universities, uh, they they like the live proctoring process, but you know there is a, a base level cost. We talked about that before, you know, with automation. Um, and I believe all the automated proctoring costs are really you know, backloaded on the inefficient side. So the idea was, can we build um, a non-live product, so a product that's capturing the, the video evidence, um, but be a lot more efficient than what's automated? And, and so they've built a good, what I call record and review platform that's built into their platform. So it's really simple for the student to launch, launch the webcam, launch the screen share. You know, we can see the student, the entire thing's recorded and instead of using um automation to flag all the events we're using our proctors to review all of it um and this is not a new concept this was a concept that went back to the early days but it's still far superior uh, to the ai because now instead of getting a report of you know 30 out of 100 test takers that got flagged now you're getting a report that only shows that one or two got flagged so it's a lot more efficient for the 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 school or the institution, um, so it's it's really record and review with what we call human intelligence, um, and from a, a, a pricing standpoint, it's competitive with uh, the AI solutions out there, um, and you know again it and ultimately it's a much more efficient and better product for the the faculty member because they're not going to have to spend their time um, trying to determine what they feel like the proctoring company should have determined.
0: Interesting. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. In fact, um, right right off the bat, it seems like uh, record and then review later with your own proctors. uh, Like you said, it's much more flexible. If you have a thousand students taking a test, you don't have to do everything in real time. You can spread it out if need be. Yeah.
1: and, and, And I have, you know, little things that I say along the way, but, you know, you talk about facial recognition technology. We all have that built in. It's our eyeballs. So we, you know, we're, we're trained from the time we're born to recognize faces, and so it's it's really easy for a, a, pro, a human proctor, even a high speed video, you know, to spot uh, when the face changes, or when there's multiple faces, or when there's no face. You know, all of the things that AI is trying to capture, uh, the human eyeball, uh, human judgment does a far better job. Uh, of identifying that, and then determining whether or not that's a particular issue. You know, the face disappeared, but maybe they were just looking at their notes. Um, somebody else, you know, another face into the room. Maybe it was just the the test taker's child coming into the room, and them scolding them to get out because. You know they're taking a test. You know the things that can happen in in normal everyday life, and the things that the the faculty shouldn't have to worry about. You know the proctoring uh, service should be able to to sift through those and only give them the ones that are important.
0: Right. Although you know, I'm thinking with machine learning, if uh, if you feed a ton of video data into some machine learning system, you would think eventually uh, the AI could catch up with, uh, with this sort of, uh, plan.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be so bold to say that can happen. I just think we're a long ways away from it. Um, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the improvements that you need to improve. And again, because there are just so many variables and then the, the other, you know, there's, there's lots of challenges that they have to get past. I think, uh, you know, they went way ahead. So I, I, I guess the best way, and, and you're old enough to remember this too, but if you remember sort of the go-go '90s and sort of the, the significant expansion of of the internet, and there was this concept, you know, in the, the late '90s going into 2000, that you know you were going to be able to watch every video, every movie, any place, anytime. Um, and so right. there was there was billions of dollars invested to that, and then in 2001 it all came crashing down because the market got way ahead of itself. It got way ahead of the technology. Um, now, 15 years later, we got there, right? Now, you know, it was a, it was a slow transition, you know, with with companies like Netflix and Amazon and all those things. But the truth is, today, you can pretty much watch any movie anywhere, anytime. Um, so, you know, it's so I look at AI, and I, I think on that observational data, it's got a it's got a long way to go, and it doesn't mean that our business is going to be obsolete. I, I think that there's still a high uh, need for that human judgment and human evaluation. I think what we're gonna get to is that that AI data, when the technology advances at that point. So maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years from now, um, you know, things tend to move faster, um, tend to move faster today than they did 20 years ago. But, you know, there's still gonna be a level of that human judgment Um, And I think there's still a huge level in society and globally in terms of trust. I mean, just think about what happened recently. If you've been following it with the IRS, you know, and using facial recognition, you know, there's still a lot of distrust and there's a lot of other social issues um, that are much more complex than any issues that we faced, you know, with my, uh, you know, watch any movie, anytime analogy. Um, right. It wasn't the regulatory, you know, pushback that you're, you're going to see in AI or that's going on in AI. So,
0: it, yeah. it also reminds me of what's going on with, uh, you know, automated uh, self-driving cars. You know, uh, you know, if you believed Elon Musk, uh, they should have had their full self-driving software finished uh, a couple of years ago, and it's taken them a lot longer.
1: Yeah, it, it has taken a lot longer, and so, but then there's that whole second piece of it, which is, and then what? Right. So what's all the implications of what that means? And is it more efficient or less efficient? Is it going to be accepted? You know, or, you know, do you, do you want, do you want to sit in the driver's seat and have, have the car drive itself? You know, I, I don't know. I've never been there, so I couldn't tell you, you know, my gut feeling says no, <laughs> so, but you know, I, I do like, you know, I've my, my car has got the the little cameras on it and it's got that sort of variable, Uh, cruise control. And that's pretty cool. So, you know, maybe I'll come around, but (laughs) there's, you know, it's always more complex than it seems on the surface.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Well, listen, um, I want to um, thank you for, uh, for joining me today. And uh, I I just, I guess I have one final question. If you could um, just uh, let my audience know what, what is your, I guess, uh value proposition. Why do you think your proctoring system is better than the competi- competition? Uh,
1: I mean, for us, we're, we're a professional proctoring organization, but so it's really not about the technology. The system really is the people. So it's the fact that we've got professionally trained proctors, um, that, um, you know, know what they're doing. They know the process. They know the students. They know how to, to work with, with students who are highly stressed, um, who need to get their test done, who may have a challenge with technology, or they may need some additional hand-holding or support during the process. It's really that human element that, you know, is part of education that we're extending into, into the testing environment and making sure that that student feels like they're supported, feels like they're they're be, being given a fair chance to take that test. So ultimately it's that human element and that human intelligence that makes what we do far superior uh, to processes that just rely solely on technology.
0: Well, that seems like a great uh, great way to pitch it. And uh, I certainly wish you the best. And uh, I think you'll do very well in this uh, increasingly online environment, especially. Thanks again. Okay, well, thank you. Proctoring has been around for for a while, and now that we're doing more and more online, you can see how important it is to have secure, accurate proctoring systems to monitor students during test taking. So I hope you got a lot out of it like I did. And don't forget to stay tuned for the song by Eric Satie. So until next time, have a great week. That's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray,
1: and does not represent the official viewpoint of any other institution or company.